Welcome to Sex Unshackled. I am Becky Krepsley Fox, and this podcast is where sexuality and spirituality meet. Today on Sex Unshackled, I have Claire Bourne with me. Claire is a pelvic health physiotherapist specializing in caring for women after pregnancy. She has worked in the field for over eight years with extensive NHS experience and runs her own private practice. Claire loves to support and provide rehabilitation, helping women to achieve their goals, whatever their birth experience. She provides postnatal body checks for women at six weeks as a mummy MOT practitioner and is a trained pre and postnatal Pilates instructor. I am overjoyed to have Claire with me today. Claire, can you please tell the listeners what brought you to this work? Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. My journey to it. Fascinating, really. Um, So I I went to university at 18 and did physiotherapy. And at that stage, I had no idea that pelvic health existed. Um, I guess like a lot of people, I went into physio. I knew that there was lots of interesting areas. I was quite interested in like pediatrics and sports. And um, yeah, I guess, you know, I was aware of kind of the neurology side of things. But pelvic health just was not on my radar. And that is very true, probably for most of my undergraduate time, there was this option in my third and final year to do uh, a module in women's, it used to be called women's health, really, then Um, it's more recently become pelvic health, because we also treat men. Um, Not everyone does, but I also treat men. So we're we're pelvic health practitioners. Um, But I mean, I didn't take it because I just was like, what even is that? Like, what is women's health? And I think as a 20 year old at that point, like childbirth, babies, it just wasn't on my radar. Um, And then I graduated. And when I graduated now, I think it's like 12 years ago now, um, at that point within the NHS, there was very limited jobs for graduating physiotherapists. So it was kind of like, take what you can get. Um, And the interview process was like so intense. So I was amazed. I got this job in London. I was so excited. I was back in London with my family. That's where I'm from. And I got this job. But like it was you just got a general job. It wasn't like you, you get a job in a particular thing. And then as part of that, you do lots of rotations. And I think it was like my first day. And they were like, you're starting in women's health. And I was like, no I I don't know anything about this area like you know I haven't done anything I was and at that point so it was actually quite rare for a junior physio to do pelvic health um it just and they were sort of piloting as an idea anyway long story short I fell in love with it I had the most amazing team I had three amazing physios who are still good friends of mine now um who've really just mentored me across the years and I have actually essentially my whole career worked with one of them at some point um until more recently when I've just gone alone but um yeah they were just so passionate about it I just saw the transformation in women's lives and obviously then subsequently men's lives dealing with the most intimate things in their lives that's just so hard to talk about and I tried lots of other areas of physio and I actually fell in love with a number of areas of physio but I just kept coming back what was the crux for me is I actually got a bit disillusioned in my early 20s I went off to do some traveling I went to India and I worked in the slums with some medical professionals and I got to do lots of like women's education and they kept asking me about like pregnancy and back and and all this sort of stuff and then I was actually reminded of my my real I guess first love uh, for pelvic health and I came back from that trip there was a job going I went for it Um, and then that's kind of like I guess that was actually probably about nine ten years ago now I can't remember the time scale probably nine and um, I've been in it ever since so um, yeah that's me and I've gone on to have two kids for myself and survived the journey I guess then I've personally lived it so I think what I then 
know and taught how I've had to like live um and it's been a journey so yeah I that's that's my journey up to this point and this area um but I just love working with couples who struggle with their sex life or you know pelvic health is a real barrier um and you know just allowing them to you know it not be a barrier in their relationship for some women it's literally the factor of like they go on to get pregnant because they were able to have sex I mean does it get much better than that to have that as part of your job so I just love it yeah I love that so much and it's fascinating that they've changed the name from women's health to pelvic health because I think there's a myth that men or penis owners don't have a pelvic floor Mm-hmm. yeah right? oh my goodness right I mean we think we've got a long way to go with with women or yeah uh, those with a vagina we have a long way to still go um in the kind of the men's sphere um and you know it's so amazing to sit down with a man and educate him about his body I guess a lot of the work I've been involved in is in, in men who've gone through prostate surgery um and obviously that having a huge impact on their continence and their erectile function um, but you know sometimes they're in their 60s and it's the first time they have been told you have these muscles in your body yeah. and I just think like how is that still that, that you know as humans we don't even know quite fundamental structural things about our system um, yeah so yeah absolutely lots of work to do there and um, so many of us are really passionate to yeah increase that awareness and 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 help men on that part of their journey as well and I'm wondering if after you had your own children if there's any differences in what you were telling clients or be a different way of being with clients after you went through that journey yourself yeah oh I think definitely I think um obviously my actual knowledge base and I guess my clinical Mm -hmm. you know what I would share and my clinical reasoning didn't change but my empathy levels I think my my reality Um, you know when I'm sitting down with a woman and I'm like okay this is how we're going to make this practical for you because I know you're going to have like two or three minutes in your day when you might think about yourself whereas I think before you know I'd be like here's five exercises and try and do these and take 10-15 minutes and all this stuff and it's like I go to bed at night and I don't even know if I did a wee in the afternoon you know it's just that sort of like your mentality is just so different so yeah I think I've just been able to I guess relate with women in a different way and just try and I guess make it as applicable for their life as possible um and I just think as well the sensitivity like the emotion that actually I don't know like if there's anything that's changed within your vagina as uh, you know if you've experienced prolapse or if sex is painful or just that feeling of things being different I just think unless you live it it's very hard to just emotionally get into the same place now, does that mean that you can't be a good clinician if you've not had children? Absolutely not. But I think it's just allowed me to probably just connect with women on a different way. And I think especially on social media, it's just allowed me to just, I guess, be in that sphere with them, um, which, you know, I think in some ways does help, but it's not essential. Mm-hmm. So can you tell the listeners what the pelvic floor actually is? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'd love to. Um, <laughs> essentially, it's a group of little muscles that work together. So they are literally of all the muscles in the body they are probably the most easiest to understand in their location because it's in the name whereas like, if you say yeah. things like the bicep it's like <laughs> where is that and um, the pelvic floor is literally where it says it is it is in the floor of the pelvis and as i say there's lots of little muscles um working together and they have five key roles so support um supporting pelvic organs um sphincteric so working the sphincter so 
urethra also keeping us continent of urine and around the anus as well uh, part of part of that complex to keep us continent of feces and win stability so working with other muscles to sort of work on spinal stability um sexual so really important so contributing to sexual pleasure that's female and male and what we call a bit like a sump pump so this kind of idea that it pumps lymph and uh, blood around the area as well which is essentially i mean muscles work squeeze on blood vessels and move uh blood around so yeah so five i think we'd agree very key roles in our life that um really other muscles can't really uh come up to the mark of them because lots of other muscles don't necessarily have quite as many roles um but yeah I'm obviously a bit biased because they're my favorite muscles (laughs) well it's a lot of roles for something that a lot of people know very little about yes I absolutely agree so you mentioned that one of the roles was sex can you tell us a little bit more about the role of the pelvic floor in sex yeah so from a you know from a vaginal kind of female point of view um has to relax and be relaxed enough to allow for penetration um and so and that can be a a big problem um if actually for some women the pelvic floor is tighter or they've maybe had a painful experience and therefore um they anticipate pain and the pelvic floor essentially i view them as a bit like someone describes a bit like a bodyguard as um protectors and so if you've had a painful experience then they will sort of again anticipate pain or just over time be much more tighter because they don't want that experience to happen again um so they need to yeah be relaxed enough to allow penetration but also be relaxed and flexible and strong enough so then during orgasm you get this lovely kind of rhythmic contraction which contributes to kind of our experience and our sexual pleasure so i say those are two main things but really i mean in all of life the the way the muscle the pelvic floor and really all muscles should be is strong but flexible and I think we don't often we often can be very focused on like pelvic floor is always weak we need to strengthen 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 but actually we need that flexibility and without that flexibility they can't function they can't respond and they can't do what they need to do um and I would say especially this this year with a lot of stress um I would say I'm seeing quite a lot of women who are in this like natural resting tone a very like switched on protective and I notice it in myself you know like I can go all day and I've been so busy and I'm not breathing deeply and I'm just quite anxious or there's it's you know life's just a bit much at the minute and then I come and I I, you know I feel tension all over my body you know jaw and shoulders can all be very related um so yeah if we're not breathing deeply the diaphragm and the pelvic floor have a relationship and so yeah it can just lead to this kind of we may not even know about it we may not think about it we may not associate it as being like I've had a difficult experience with sex which has led to me having pain but then sex may just become more uncomfortable and it's like we can't really understand why and then we have a look at the whole of you to try and I guess like yeah unpick it and work out why that might be for you and um, what are your thoughts on kegels and um yoni eggs and weights yeah great question so essentially um a kegel or a kegel depending on how you say it is a is a pelvic floor contraction and is kind of exercise where you're contracting the muscles and letting them go and really if you are able to do that as a female male however you identify then that is enough okay you can just contract the muscle in the same way that you would any other muscle in your body the repeatedness of contracting and adding load, weights, impact, whatever that might be, gradually strengthens muscle. Um, 
there's loads i mean there is the market for pelvic floor devices (laughs) weights you know you've got to have this and your incontinence will go you've got to have this and your sex life will be amazing i mean it's a huge market i personally always sit in the gray and i'm never like absolute about anything because i truly believe that as individuals we connect with and i think find different things helpful um so any device that's out there so um, yeah, I mean, the eggs I personally never use with clients, though I know some people will swear by them. Um, so completely respect that. But it's not, I think from a medical professional point of view, it's not something that we would readily first go to. Vaginal weights, there's, there's been this sort of like fascinating controversy of like essentially putting a weight in. Are you just literally gripping and holding it? Um, you know rather than getting a contract and let go of the muscle are you just kind of working on this like always slightly switched on and is that necessarily the best practice but equally then is there a place for them if we're then trying to challenge a muscle in the other way we would any other muscle in the body by adding some weight and challenge to the contraction you know there's a place potentially for that so I think with all of these things it's how we use them um first line and this is like guidelines based so if we're looking at incontinence or prolapse which is where there's kind of change in the position of pelvic organs um sorry there is you know supported supervised pelvic floor therapy essentially with a physio like myself is first line um now that's on the nhs and obviously there is options for private as well but i would always recommend that before you buy devices and go out there and buy the next best thing essentially a lot of the time a price to see a physio privately is the same as a device and I'm always like if you're going to invest that money somewhere probably try and see an individual to find out what you know is the right thing for you yeah before you go and spend 100 pounds on something equally though accessibility is not 100 yeah. percent um and you know there are great devices out there that do support women they motivate women they kind of very much support us a bit like a personal trainer at home so yeah I'm being very grey because I believe it's grey and I just think there's no way that we can say and like anyone should do one way and I think we all in the same way like some of us love yoga some of us love pilates some of us love running love some of us love crossfit and ultimately if you don't do what you enjoy you're probably not going to do it it's the same thing isn't it and what motivates an individual is essentially going to get the best results and so that's where I want to sit with an individual is what they're going to find most helpful. Yeah. And I think there's also a question of why are you doing it? You know, is it because you have a prolapse and you do need to um, work that muscle group? Or is it because someone once told you that you should have a stronger pelvic floor when actually you might have tension in your pelvic floor, but you, you haven't checked, you don't know. Exactly. And that's the thing. And really until you have an assessment, like yeah. none of these devices are going to fully tell you that information. Um, so yeah, individual care will always be gold standard. Just sadly, we don't have that widely available. So I understand why women turn to these devices. And sometimes they're, you know, they're great. And they mean that women don't need to go on and access one-to-one support. Um, So this is why there is a place for everything. But I'd always, my, my ideal would be see someone individually. Yeah. And what can happen postpartum to impact sex from a physical perspective for people? Great question. So if we look at someone who's had a vaginal birth, um, they, you know, over, I mean, I think it's like nine out of 10 women. So a high percentage um, will have an element of, so tearing of the, either the muscles or the skin or a graze or an episiotomy. So, which is a, a cut that's done by the medical professionals. So 
essentially most women first time round are going to have some impact to the skin or the muscle around the vaginal tissues. So that means scar tissue will form. If you've had a scar anywhere else in your body, you'll probably notice that it's a little bit tighter than the rest of the tissues around it. And if you think about the vaginal tissues, more sensitive anyway, um, and then a tighter, you know, slightly tighter. Sometimes that creates a little bit of imbalance if it's say on one side rather than the other side. So you've probably got some new tissue that's slightly tighter um, from a, you know, from a hormone perspective, if you are breastfeeding or your periods haven't returned, estrogen levels can be lower, lower estrogen equals drier tissues. And so, you know, you can see it. It's like, you're also exhausted. You haven't, you know, you get no space from your baby much of the time in those early days. And so you're probably like, if you're going to have sex, you're probably like, okay, let's just get on with it and do it you know so that whole kind of like maybe foreplay or all the stuff as women that maybe helps us become a bit more turned on or lubricated you don't really bother with and so you've kind of got this perfect storm for sex probably just not to feel that great and there's one study that suggests that like eight over 80 percent of women report like pain or discomfort with sex postpartum and that is so many women it's just unbelievable and I think the hard thing is is that again it's like is that meant to be the case because I think so much of motherhood it's like oh, well, that's just part of motherhood. That's just what happens when you have a baby. And so you suddenly feel like you're signing up to this time in your life where leaking's okay and you're probably not going to have sex again. Or if you do, you're just going to grin and bear it for your partner and it's going to be painful. And, you know, and you start being like, crikey, this is rubbish. And like, could not be more delighted that I've got a beautiful baby, but this is brutal. And I'm now meant to have just signed into this club that no one told me about and there's no real way out of this club. So yeah, I find it really sad that this is not talked about enough. And actually just some really basic things that women can do are, you know, just anticipate it and, and get some good lube in and know that you need to use it. Because, yeah, you may not have been a person before who really needed lubricant, but postpartum you will need it and will really be thankful for it. So that can be really, really helpful. You know, after the six to eight week mark, having a feel of your scar yourself or feeling the vaginal tissues and sometimes massaging them very gently like you may have done before birth in the technique we call perineal massage which helps to kind of prepare the tissues for birth so you know I think those two very basic things and I think expectations between you and your partner to say look like we're probably not going to be jumping into bed to have sex at like six weeks postpartum and it's going to be like it was a year ago or two years ago whatever when we were trying for a baby and just having those conversations and it being like it's not going to be like this forever but actually how can we support each other and how can we help you to feel as comfortable and confident in your body and yeah body changes and babies being on your nipples and all these there's so many things that contribute to us not feeling and also the hormonal shift that's going on in us doesn't necessarily contribute to us having a high libido as well so yeah I probably paint a really negative picture, but really what I'm trying to say is that that one, there are some basic things that you can do to help yourself and two, communication. I think understanding what's going on allows you to feel that you're not one crazy and unusual. And I think helps your partner to have a realistic expectation of the situation and what, and then I think that reduces tension and things like that. So from that's from a kind of vaginal birth point of view, I think that, that again another misconception is that if you have a cesarean that sex just won't be an issue at all um that's actually not the case I treat women after cesarean who do have pain with sex again if you're breastfeeding that estrogen dryness is still very very relevant equally if the scar cesarean scar is particularly tight I sometimes see that that's impacted how women maybe their breathing patterns 
and actually tension within the pelvic floor as well. Um, so again, it can be very, very relevant that you need support um, with your pelvic floor. Um, but massaging the cesarean scar is also really wonderful and really helpful as well. So um, either way, lots that we can do to help. So sex just doesn't have to be not good. And equally, I think we need to support women in that. So one, it doesn't put them off for so long that then like, well, it's just going to be rubbish anyway. Or they don't push through lots of painful experiences, which then obviously their body's going to anticipate more, which is probably going to contribute into that cycle of experiencing pain. I think if we could just say to them, look, do these small things to help not be in that cycle, that's going to help them in the long term as well. So yes. yeah, a long yeah. answer to what they, they can do really. Yeah, it's amazing. And I feel like in nearly all of my podcast episodes, it comes up about how good lube is. <laughs> it's like every episode, we, we're learning more and more about why lube is amazing. And I think the listeners, yeah. if you haven't got lube yet and you've listened to my podcast, go yeah. and buy some really good lube. Yeah. And, you know, I think the moral of what you're saying is don't grin and bear it. You know, if it's mm. hurting, this is what I say to clients as well. If you're having sex and it's hurting or you're not into it and you're not wanting it, you are building up more of a negative response to sex. So the next time sex is initiated, you're going to want it less and less mm. and less. And as you say, that pain response starts to build up. So instead, well, what can you do? Can you have oral sex instead? Can you add more lubrication? Can you do a bit of massage and do it later? Can you not do it at all for today? What can you do so that you're not in pain and you're not uncomfortable because you want to look forward to sex and enjoy sex and it not be something that you're backing away from? Mm. And I, I love that. And I think also so much of that postpartum is is almost a lack of intimacy that you sometimes just feel with your partner or your partner feels with less with you because I think your your attention is on your baby naturally your the demand on you is high and it's almost actually just those points of connection that are needed that actually you know sometimes sex doesn't have to be a part of that whatever sex looks like whether that's penetrative or not actually just thinking how can we connect as a couple um you know what did we enjoy before like coming back to that because actually yeah if you've not really spent any time together in three months because you've both been working like shift patterns looking after a baby trying to get sleep whenever you can and then suddenly like oh well it's been three months we should probably have sex but you're kind of like we haven't even really connected for like three months we haven't been intimate in any sense of the word um I'm just like get back to the foundations yes. like put in some time just to spend time together because I really believe that sex will become a natural thing from that if you just be like, we've got to have sex, it's like, everyone's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's this like so much pressure. I'm like, just, just take the pressure away. And, and it, it's likely more likely to happen. Exactly. Yeah, it's so important. You know, what can we do? What do we feel like doing now? Maybe it's just stroking each other's hair. Maybe it's having a naked cuddle. Maybe it's having a bath together. Yeah. It always have to be what you assume it should be right what do you actually want to do instead of what society is telling you that you should be doing completely and I think so much can be postpartum it's like this magical six weeks that after this magical six weeks everything's great and so then men hear this like maybe the six week thing and so then they're like well it's been six weeks and you're like crikey doesn't it like six weeks feels like <laughs> yes you know the baby was here yesterday and I think yeah. again it's like it just that realistic expectation and, and and talking that through and understanding I guess the physiology of what is actually going on um can just be so wonderful but I always say to women if like sex is like completely agony like it feels raw impossible like please get that checked out because yeah. sometimes some wounds will have this like granulation tissue which is like really really sensitive to touch and it sometimes needs to be removed and then sex is absolutely fine 
but that's not just going to go with lube and a glass yeah. of wine or like mo- watching a movie together so if that's a repetitive thing and it's like you it, it's very much like it just can't happen it's not like I don't want it we've yeah. tried everything it's just not happening it, there is something medical there that needs to be addressed which often women can find it a long time before they find help um so yeah if any of that like, they might identify with it yeah definitely get help that's really great advice I'm wondering if you can tell the listeners a little bit about prolapse. Mm, absolutely. What, what it is, what might help, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So prolapse is such a feared term and I was in that camp, so I completely understand that. So I think it's, I don't know, I think leakage, it's kind of like, well, you can manage it with a pad. So if it's the worst case scenario, you have to wear a pad, like, okay um with prolapse it's like this it feels like much more of a permanent structural change so essentially a prolapse prolapse is a term that refers to essentially i mean you can have a spinal disc prolapse so it's a general medical term when we're talking about vaginal prolapse it's essentially with one of your pelvic organs drops moves it could be the bladder the bowel the small bowel your urethra your womb so i mean it can be anything really most commonly we will see kind of bladder bowel or uterine prolapses in especially in the more more postpartum but it can happen at any point in life um and i think also has a bad rep for kind of like menopause time as well um so yes there's a structural change but what can be done to help again first line is supported supervised pelvic floor physiotherapy um because essentially we have great studies that show we kind of regular pelvic floor exercises for around the sort of six month mark we can make a big change to women's symptoms and essentially with prolapse it is very much focused on symptoms so naturally when there has been a change in your body you want to fix it you want it to go away you want the prolapse not to be there anymore that may not occur but that's not the end of the journey while main focus for women is yes we want to change your symptoms and we want to get you back to doing the things that you love. And often women don't care about what it looks like down there, what a person, a, a medical professional would grade it as, you know, they want to know that they can run again or look after their kids or do whatever they enjoy, have sex and it not be an issue. Their partners are not going to think that they're broken. They're not going to feel like they're broken. Um, so yeah, that's what prolapse is and essentially supported. Sometimes a pessary is really helpful and there's a whole range of pessaries um, that essentially are put inside the vagina just to support the vaginal walls. Uh, it can be used on like a short term. So while you're kind of recovering and your pelvic floor strengthening, it can be used as a more long-term management. But surgery is absolutely not the only option. It is not the first line option. It should not be used as the first line option, apart from very rare cases. Um, so yeah, that's it. But if I say from a yeah. sex point of view, most women, it, it doesn't cause issues. Um, sometimes you may want to play around with the position that you have penetrative sex in if you're finding it uncomfortable. But for a lot of women, actually, I think the biggest barrier is that you as a woman feel different. I think it really affects how you feel I think just you feel broken and you feel like you've aged about 80 years and you feel just like different about who you are and less confident in your body I think it helps you it makes you lose confidence in your body yeah so when you come into the bedroom and you think your partner's going to feel the same way and I'd say the majority of times men it doesn't impact their experience or their pleasure um you know, if we're talking about a heterosexual relationship here, obviously that's not the only case, but from, if we're looking at that, it doesn't cause them any, any different. Mm. Yeah. I was really just keen to bring in 
prolapse because it is such a hush topic. I know it's so encased in fear. It's people are embarrassed to talk about, you know, people are embarrassed to talk about all this stuff, but I think especially prolapse. Um, So I really just wanted to bring a bit of voice to that just so we're talking about it more openly. I think that's super important. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. And I think it's still viewed as like an old lady problem. Um, you know, it's not going to happen. And I think yeah, it's incredibly common. We have stats that state like 50% of women over 40 will have an element. You know, 40 wow. is not old, you yeah. know, if we're living to a 90. We've got yeah. more of our life ahead of us. And yet our narrative still to women with a prolapse is like, oh, well, you can't exercise and that's it. And that's it, you know, and you feel... And I've been very open on social media. Like I was diagnosed with a prolapse after my first delivery, after having my daughter. And I literally felt like I'd been handed a life sentence. Yeah. And a life sentence where there was no prospects. And I was 28. Like I was so young. And I just, you know, I just, I literally felt like my, I was like, I'm never going to run again. I'm never going to, you know, you're not going to exercise again. And I was like, I'm 28. And I think saying that to people as well, it's like women need you know, impact or resistance for their bone health. And we know that a big problem for menopausal and women going into later life, and we, you know, lots of us living into our 90s as women, that bone health is a real issue. Um, Equally, if we're not therefore allowing and supporting women with their pelvic health to do impact and resistance training, we are absolutely knocking them on with so many other bits of their journey. Um, And I'm really passionate to get that narrative changed that and I'm too honest, I say it's the majority of the work that I'm doing at the minute is with postpartum mums who've been told they've had like you've got a prolapse that's it no exercise you're going to make it worse and they are just terrified and they're terrified to leave the house they're terrified to look after their children terrified to exercise so I'm like these are women in their 30s like what are they going to do for the next yeah. you know 50 years like just stay at home and do nothing it's like so wrong and it's actually just not true that exercise and movement activity is good it's helpful. It's beneficial. Yes, in the right way and with the right support and for the individual. But it's like we've got to stop viewing it as the enemy because it's it's actually not. It's actually on our side when we use it. I would say, you know, it's like don't view it as something against. Use it as a tool to actually spur you on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, thank you for asking that because I think it's such an important topic and we've still got a long way to go. For sure, definitely. Lots of myths to be busted in this round, I think. Loads. (laughs) (laughs) So what are some tips um, just for anyone and everyone with a pelvis um, that they can do to have good pelvic health? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think one, just identifying and understanding like what that means for your body, like do a little bit of research, look online, where are the pelvic floor muscles? What does that mean for me? You know, essentially to do a pelvic floor contraction is incredibly simple, though a lot of us are doing it wrong. Um, (laughs) The way I describe it, and so for most, and this is across the board for anyone with a pelvis, is to think about holding in wind because a lot of the muscles sit around our anus. Um, So thinking about, yes, holding wind and letting go will generally get a very nice pelvic floor contraction going. Your legs should be relaxed, your tummy should be relaxed, your bottom muscles should be relaxed. So it's just an isolated movement. Um, 
thinking about your overall bladder and bowel health as well so constipation and straining having a huge impact on our pelvic floor another conversation let's talk about poo you know we just don't do that it's not british and especially <laughs> i think sometimes within the female population the thought of someone knowing they're doing a poo is just like absolutely outrageous um so they rush or they push or they whatever just yeah. in there, or they hold and they actually don't go for days because they just don't they want to be in their own space their environment where no one would know about it so bowel health being incredibly important you know trying to deal with constipation but a really simple thing lift your feet up onto a stool or something when you are going to open your bowels and lean forwards it helps to take the natural kind of kink and uh, out of the bowel and it helps to lengthen the pelvic floor to allow it just easier for you to do a poo I'm like why would that not be a good thing again we're not educated about that we're just not told about that but what's so interesting is I have IBS um, and I talk about it quite a lot. So some of the listeners know, but when I am going through an episode, so I'm feeling in a lot of pain and I go to the toilet, I realize that I lean forward a lot. So yes. it's like my body knows. It's intuitive. But yeah, intuitively knows like, oh, this is something needs to happen. Lean forward, allow it to become a bit of an easier, maybe tiny bit of a nicer experience than it yeah. is. It's pretty horrendous. Um, <laughs> but when I go to the toilet normally, I'm not leaning forward. No, exactly. And it's it's fascinating. And I think having had like children of my own as well, like most children, babies, obviously they walk around. I mean, not when they're tiny, but once they start moving around, you'll often find them squatting in a corner um, and doing their poo. They, They intuitively know the easiest way to do a poo. Then we potty train them. We put them on like very much more like sort of 90 degree potty um, or on the toilet. And we take that natural intuitive process away from them. And a lot of children actually have real issues with pooing because I think part of that problem is, is that we're almost forcing them to do something that is not natural. Yeah. You look at all children, they generally feed intuitively. They poo intuitively. They move pretty intuitively. You know, their squats are a dream. They don't have any of this tension. You know, it's amazing to watch. And I think actually, if we can just look at that and think, that is a natural thing that we have made very unnatural. Let's just go back to that. Um, yeah, you know, as you know, your body is intuitive. It will probably like to try and do that. Um, and there's just things that we can do to help that. And I'm, I'm really passionate to sort of work, I guess, more with people to talk about the whole potty training experience, because I think the more we can encourage our children from a younger age to get into these good bowel habits, yeah. the, the better that's going to be for, for, for later on in life. So I really encourage kind of trying to find very low potties, but they are almost in a crouching position. It's very much just reflecting what they've done rather than really changing, I guess, that mechanics of what they've been doing. Yeah, I hope my brother doesn't mind me saying this, but my brother has, um, have you heard of squatty potties? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so for the listeners, if you don't know, it's like a, it's almost just like a stool, basically. It's yeah. something that you slip underneath the toilet base um to put your feet on but I guess you could use anything as you suggested and that helps with the as you said the natural way that we should be going to the toilet um and yep they swear by it so we should all go and buy squatty potties yeah and you can get one that folds so I think sometimes people are like but I don't want if people come to my house and meet this massive thing around my toilet I'm like well maybe it encourage them to also get one but you can get one that literally it's called a porter squatty so again if you want to take it on holiday you just fold it and take it with you um but yeah if you've got like any form of stool at home or some old magazines or like a big chunky book or whatever you know you can create it in different ways but um, they're not expensive and they're a great investment 
Yeah, I was just laughing because I was thinking um, we just got back from Cornwall and I took my pillow with me. And my husband was like, oh, do people take their pillows on holiday? I was like, well, we're driving. We have a van. I'm going to take my yeah. pillow. I was just imagining next year I'm going to add my squatty potty and then next year I add something else. And then eventually the van will be full and he's going to be like, Becky, you need to stop. We don't need to take all these things away with us. You'd be like, no, but we do need a squatty we potty. We do. Foundational to our holiday. Exactly. Um so just before we end, um, where do the listeners go if they need help with any of these issues? Do they go to the doctor? Do they go private? Where can they go? Yeah, so for, so for most most uh, most of the time, it is via the GP. Though I would say it is very dependent on your GP and their knowledge, I guess, of pelvic health and services in the area. So I think the sad thing is we can get so GP bashing and I think we just have to have compassion that no GP is going to know absolutely everything about everything. Uh, something I often recommend is there's something online. Uh, I mean, there's the Squeezy app, which is on your phone, but they also have a website. So it's www.squeezyapp.com. And if you put them forward slash directory, you put in your postcode and it will come up with physios in your local area, both NHS and private and often the NHS uh, will, will, will actually talk about referral route into those services. So you can actually sometimes just do your own research and take that with you to the GP. And I think a really important thing when we talk to GPs is to share what we are worried about and say, you know, I've done some research. This is what I'm worried about. You know, I've, I've heard that physios can help. I've done some research. This is what I found. Like, is it a possibility to be referred? I think sometimes we kind of... We want the GP to guess what we want. And when they don't, we're then really annoyed that they don't get it. And I think sometimes, and I was, my husband's a GP and I have a number of friends who are, and I've said to them, like, what is the best way to manage it? And they're like, we actually love it when someone comes in and just is really honest with us about what almost their expectations and what they want. Not in a demanding way, but just in a kind of like, this is what I'm wondering about. Because then like, we then know what you're thinking and we can go from there. It's quite hard for us if we're trying to guess what you really want, which is true of any relationship, right? Um, so there, yeah, there is absolutely support on the NHS um, if you're symptomatic um, across across the board, really, for any of those sort of pelvic health symptoms, incontinence, prolapse, difficult with intercourse, pain, pelvic pain being quite a big one, vulvodynia, vaginismus. So across the spectrum um, and, and, and for, for men um, across the board as well. Um, so again, for penis owners, what penis. might they, what might the problems be that they might come? Yes, so they... I'd say for, for the younger part of the population, it will often be erectile I mean, dysfunction. I hate the word dysfunction, really. Yeah. Erectile concerns, things that, you know, either they are yeah, struggling to gain an erection, maintain an erection or problems with ejaculation, maybe premature ejaculation, or they may have problems just with their bladder, like going really frequently or urgency, or they may have bowel symptoms um, that they're struggling with. Um, or pain as well. I'd say that's kind of a lot of what we see. And then in the older generation, yeah, it's a lot of like post-surgery um, patients as, as well. So I guess that would be the kind of generalization yeah. for penis owners, yeah. Fab. Where can the listeners find you? Yeah, so I guess on social media. So yeah, I'm at Clareborn Physio. Um, I mean, I share a lot of motherhood side of things there, um, but it's not exclusively what I do with my work. So on my website, I talk obviously a lot more about that and that's www.clare-born.com. Um, I was joking earlier about my name being really boring, but actually quite hard to spell. So I'm Claire without an I and then born with a U, like the films, um, if you're finding it hard to find me. But yeah, that's me. Incredible. It has been 
so great having you on and I'm going to post all of that on the show notes page thank you so much thanks for having me I've loved the chat 